I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. It's going to take some time for me to get there, so be patient with me. But this is part of what we are going to spend time here this morning. So we have been walking through a series called Brand New. It's the story of salvation from, a ground, from the ground and from the air. And we've, and we've divided it into um, two subsets of, ser- of sermon series. The first sermon series in this broad sermon series was called The Gospel on the Ground. So it was dealing with the gospel at more of an individual level, and that, and that is defined in four themes in Scripture, God, man, Christ, and response. God, man, Christ, and response. I don't have time to unpack that, but we got the whole sermon series online on YouTube um, or through our app. You can download the app, or you can go on YouTube, and you can grab some of that information there. The second half or the second sub-sermon series in this broad sermon series is the gospel in the air. And that is dealing with the, the universal and global implications of the gospel. In other words, the gospel is not just something that God is doing in you, but it is something that God is doing in the world, in, in the universe, and in all of the creation, all right? And we talked about and we've dealt with the first two themes in, in, in that subset, and that was creation and fall. All right, we got two more to go. One is the one that we're going to deal with this morning, and the other one is going to be, um, um, it's, it's, it's basically the, the restoration of all things, the consummation, if you will, of all things. So we'll deal with that next week. This morning, we're going to deal with redemption slash reconciliation. Now, last week, for a number of different reasons, that was a very, very tough sermon for me to preach. Very hard sermon, not a whole lot of happy notes in that sermon. And, 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 so, and so this week, I'm, 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 I'm a little more eager to preach this sermon because there's hope on the end of this sermon. Last week, we established that the world was created perfect by God, but man introduced what is now known as the fall or by disobeying God and choosing their own way over his way. And through this one act of disobedience, sin and all of its consequences enter into the world. And we also established last week that the fall has unmistakable or has caused unmistakable brokenness in the world. And this brokenness impacts us in in both ways that we realize and in ways that we are still yet to comprehend. Sometimes we don't understand how much the fall has impacted us. And we, unpack, we spent time in Genesis 3 last week unpacking three major ways in which we see the fall has impacted us. Number one, pain and suffering. We experience pain. God tells Eve that she is going to experience greater pain in childbirth. Her pain is going to be multiplied in childbirth. And these words serve as, great, uh, serve as pain's introduction, not just for the woman's experience, but it serves as pain's introduction into the whole human experience. And then we talked about the fact that, that, that the fall not only is, is, is seen and revealed in pain and suffering, but it is also seen and revealed in human conflict. God in Genesis chapter 3, he talks to Eve and he tells Eve that she is going to seek her own desires and domination over her spouse. And these words serve as uh, the introduction to relationship conflict. And how relationship conflict is not just simply husband and wife, but relationship conflict enters into the whole human experience. You see, the fall not only creates separation with God, but the fall creates separation from one another. 
And we see that immediately, right, in Adam and Eve's offspring. The first thing that we see after Adam and Eve are are banished out of the Garden of Eden is a story about their first two sons, and one of the sons kills the other. Why? Because the fall has entered into the world, thus conflict has entered into the world. And then lastly, we observe how the fall impacted our ability to cultivate and to be fruitful and to produce and to work. God declared to Adam that the ground would permanently be cursed as a result of his sin. And that no matter how hard he tried to keep keep out thorns and thistles and weeds, they would continue to rise from the ground. And that great pain and great fatigue would accompany any type of quality work that Adam was to embark upon. In other words, the fall didn't ensure that we would work. Work, cultivating, producing, making things was and is a gift from God. So the fall, didn't, the fall didn't introduce that. That was already introduced to us when we were created. We were created to work. We were created to be fruitful. We were created to produce. But the fall introduced to us work being hard and grueling and toilsome and tiresome. Our works would eventually return to the earth just like we would because of the fall. In other words, our work would be hard, and nothing that we build would ultimately last. It would ultimately return to the ground, and so would we. And that's the fall. Not a happy sermon. So with that in mind, I want to answer four questions this morning as we turn our attention from the fall to redemption and reconciliation, and that is this. What is Christ going to do with the fall? What is he going to do with the fall? And what will the work that he is doing include within it? That's the second question. Third question, how is he going to do it? Fourth question, what does that mean for us? Number one, what is Christ going to do with the fall? Number two, what will the work that he is doing include? Number three, how is he going to do it? And number four, what does that mean for us? First, what is Christ going to do with the fall? Last week, again, hard message. But if you were here, you remember that I left you with a little bit of hope in the end. I gave you a sneak peek in John chapter 9 of what Jesus was doing with the fall. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, we see that there is a man who is blind from birth. And the disciples uh, and, and others, they come along and they say, hey, you know, rabbi, teacher, who sinned? Who sinned caused this man's blindness? Did his parents' sin cause this man's blindness or did his his sin cause this man's blindness? And Jesus responded and he answered, neither, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we talked about this last week. Underneath Jesus' words there about neither this man's sin or his parents' sin being the cause for his blindness lies an unspoken statement and it is this. Neither this man's sin or his parents' sin has caused this man's plight, the fall has caused this man's plight. This man is blind because of the fall, period. Sometimes brokenness just exists because we live in a broken world. And one of the worst things that you could do is try to apply fault into every single uh, piece of, or every single example of brokenness that you encounter. Does that make sense? We live in a broken world. Sometimes it's just broken. 
And that's what Jesus is basically saying by, by attributing this man's blindness to neither his parents nor him. He is saying this world is broken. But the effects of sin and death, suffering, relational conflict, burdensome creativity and productivity are no match for the divine power that is found in Christ. And so he's saying this man is blind because his world is broken. But I have the power to heal him because I have power over the fall and over all of the world's brokenness. And so in healing this blind man, God gets glory by showing the world that he has power over the fall and is able to completely eradicate its effects. Our City Light teens are actually walking through the Gospel of Mark right now, as I mentioned earlier. And if you have a teen and and you would like more information, again, Matt Clark is your guy. Please see him because they are diving into some heavy stuff, some really good stuff. And, And one of the things that they are diving in is actually found in the earlier chapters of Mark. The first three chapters, I believe chapter two. There's this scene where Jesus is returning back to his hometown in Capernaum. He's heading there for a little rest and relaxation, and everybody hears about it as he returns. And so they all show up at the house where he is, and and they fill the house completely to the point where there's no more room on the inside. And now folks are on the outside piling in and pushing in as Jesus begins to preach. Well, in the midst of all of this hustle and bustle, there is a paralyzed man who needs to get to Jesus. His friends are doing everything they can to make sure that he gets to him. And so they lower this man from the roof into the house where Jesus is. Got to be creative when you're trying to get to Jesus sometimes. And Jesus, seeing how much faith is on display in these friends, And this paralyzed man, he says to this man, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, here's where it gets interesting. As he is saying this, there are some scribes who are standing by and watching this, and they're thinking to themselves, this man is blaspheming because only God can forgive sins. And even though they're quiet, Jesus knows their heart. He reads and perceives what's going on in their hearts and what they're thinking in their hearts. So he responds to them and he says this, dealing with their internal question. He says this, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And that's what the man did. But did you notice what happened there? Jesus says that it's a lot easier than you think for me to say your sins are forgiven. But in order that you may know that I have power to say it, I'm going to command him to walk. In other words, in order that you may know that I have power over sin, I'm going to show you that I have power over sin's impacts. In order for you to understand that I have power over the fall and what sin produced in the fall, I'm going to show you that I have power over all the things that the fall causes. Do you understand that? Sin causes the fall. Jesus says, I got power over that. Your sins are forgiven. Wait a second. You can't say that unless you got. Okay. The fall causes suffering. I'm going to show you I got power over that too. Take up your bed and walk. You understand? And so Jesus is showing that he has power over all of it. 
It's very important for us. He shows his power to reverse the effects of the fall and human suffering as he goes from city to city, healing all manner of diseases, alleviating the pain of suffering people. He shows that he has power to reverse the the effects of the fall in human relationships as he he crosses all of the typical lines that divide us as people, ethnic lines, social lines, cultural lines, are all erased when Christ shows up on the scene. He shows up and he engages with a Samaritan woman. And everybody's like, you can't do that. He can. Because he's reversing all of the effects of the fall. He shows his power to reverse the effects of the fall in creation as he speaks to the storms. Peace, be still. Causes them to stop. As he walks on water. Or as he speaks literally to an unfruitful fig tree. Say, out of here. That's my paraphrase. But it does. It dries up and it withers and it's done. Jesus' entry into the world signifies the beginning of the reverse of the fall. And it is very easy to understand why he has power to reverse it because he was the one who created it. With all of creation affected by the fall, in order to reverse the effects of the fall, we have to return to the one who is ultimately responsible for the creation of creation. Paul makes that abundantly clear in Colossians chapter 1. This is where we are this morning. I told you I was going to get there eventually. Now, we're not going to stay as long as you think, all right? In this text, Paul gives us Scripture to establish the authority of Christ and to establish the authority that Christ carries to reverse the effects of the fall. In verse 20, we hear of Christ's intent to reverse the effects of the fall by bringing reconciliation. That's an important word for us this morning. Verse 19 and 20 in particular is where I want to place our focus. But let's look through verses 15 through 17 as well. It says he is the, or 17 through, or 15 through 18 rather. It says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created and in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, verse 19 and 20 is where I want to fix our attention in particular. In him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. The process by which Christ is reversing the effects of the fall is called reconciliation. Reconciliation involves, according to the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, it involves a change in the relationship between God and man or between man and man. It assumes that there's, there has been a breakdown in the relationship, but now there has been a change from a state of enmity and fragmentation or a state of animosity and brokenness to one of harmony and fellowship, that's what reconciliation does. 
This is what Christ is doing. He is reconciling. He is restoring the brokenness. He is changing the relationship. He is eradicating the fall. And all of his life is a demonstration of that. It is a foretaste of that. But the next question is what does that work include? What all is included in the work of reconciliation, in the work of repair and changing the relationship? between God and man, and between man and man, and between man and creation. You see, the fall changed our relationship with all of these things. It broke it, it fractured it. However, through Christ, listen to this, all things are being reconciled. Meaning that through Christ, all of the relationships that were broken, God and man, man and man, man and creation, are being restored. All things. First question that may be asked is, does he really mean everything? Is this about, I mean, because I always thought that, you know, the gospel was about people and is this about something more? And the answer is, yes, it's about something more, way more, a lot more. First clue we get is that, is, is the clue that we discussed last week. Remember we talked about this, humanity and all of creation is forever bound and tied together. God, remember, he creates man and then he creates woman and then he tells man and woman, go and subdue the earth. Go and exercise dominion over all that I have created. And what does man and woman do? They fall short. They sin. They turn their backs on God. They say, hey, I want to be God. And because of that, not only are they marred, but their responsibility is marred. Creation is marred. And so now, in creation, we have illness that we, comes out of the blue that we have no answer for. We have weather and storms and, and tornadoes and hurricanes, and, and we have all sorts of war and violence, and, and we have things that we don't have clear explanations for. But the clear explanation is those that were entrusted to exercise dominion over creation forfeited their responsibility when they sinned, thus creating chaos in all of creation. So that's why Romans 8 tells us that creation is groaning and waiting for the revealing of the sons of man. In other words, creation is saying, I can't wait till y'all get fixed. Because when y'all get fixed, we get fixed. When y'all get fixed, there will be no more barren trees. There will only be fruitful trees. When y'all get fixed, there will be no more storms to, to run through cities and devastate them and bring them to rubble. When y'all get fixed, there will be no more forest fires that wreak havoc across coasts. Coast. When y'all get fixed, there will, be, there will be no more tornadoes to wreak havoc across the, across the plains, in the Midwest and in the South. I can't wait till y'all get fixed, is what creation is saying in Romans 8. When man is fully restored, suffering will cease. When man is fully restored, division will cease. When man is fully restored, creation will no longer suffer any death, destruction, and barrenness. It will, too, be fully restored. And the second clue that we get that Jesus is talking about literally all things is in 
verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1 in Colossians. Look with me there. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What do you think they're talking about here? Do you think they, they're talking about some things or? No, he created all things, meaning that all things have their origin in him. He is before all things, and he existed. That means he existed when nothing else existed. He holds all things together, meaning all things are held in existence through him and only move by his power. He creates all things. He is before all things. He sustains and keeps all things. He owns all things. And in all things, we are referring to everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. So when this same Christ declares that he will reconcile and bring change in the relationship of all things that have been broken, he is still talking about all things. Meaning that through Christ, all things left broken within humanity will be restored. All things left broken within creation will be restored. All things found broken within the cosmos will be restored. Here's another clue that he's talking about all things. Verse 20 itself, it says simply, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, here, or in heaven. All things. All things below, all things above. All things seen, all things unseen. The scale of reconciliation includes everything that is currently broken here and beyond. In Christ, in Christ, he is saving you. God is saving you. Make no mistake about it. But in Christ, he is doing so much more. Third question, how's he going to do it? Or a better way to state this question, how has he done it? And the answer is in verse 20, again. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In order to reconcile and restore all things, man in their relationship with God, man in their relationship with one another, man in their relationship with creation, in which they've been called to exercise dominion over, in order to reconcile all of it, Christ takes the chaos of creation upon his own shoulders. Making peace by blood. Jesus reverses the fall by taking on the punishment that comes out of the fall. Death. Suffering. See, fam, fallenness is bloody. Fallenness is bloody. Death is bloody. Sin is bloody. It is violent. It is chaotic. It is destructive. 
And so in order to deliver us from the impacts of the fall, he takes the fall upon himself. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 and 5, it says this. Surely he has borne our griefs, fallenness, carried our sorrows, fallenness. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, fallenness. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. He took all the sorrow, all the grief, all the affliction, all the illness, all the punishment for, punishment for our sin. He takes all of the suffering, all of the tears that you shed. He takes all of the violence that you wish would come to an end. He takes all of the sickness that we tend to have, that we have no answers for. He takes it all. He takes all of the punishment that comes out of the fall upon his own shoulders in order that the fall may be erased. Do you understand that? There's a word in Isaiah 53 and 5 that I just read and a word in Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 that's important. We need to pay close attention to that word. And the word is this, peace. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. He made peace by the blood of the cross. Remember last week we discussed how sometimes there is a tendency to read a word like peace and limit it, make it too small. Think it's about emotion. Think it's about just, you know, we got so, man, I just got so much going on, man, but Jesus just brings me peace. And we, and we think that's the extent of what the, the, this peace that he is purchasing for us. No, 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 no. It's too small. Peace is more than a lack of anxiety. Peace is more than a lack of worry. Ancient peace, again, remember we quoted Keller. We talked about it. Ancient peace is perfect, harmonious interdependence among all of creation. Perfect, harmonious Interdependence among all of creation, absolute wholeness, full, harmonious, joyful, flourishing life, full life. When Jesus says, I come that you might have life and that more abundantly, what do you think he's talking about? I come that you might have shalom. I have made peace through the cross in order that everything might function and work again. All the things that are broken might function and work again. All the tears that are shed might be wiped. All of the sickness that we bear might be erased. That's what the cross does. Christ Jesus in absorbing the impacts of the fall is making way paving the way for shalom to be brought to us. He is delivering us from the chaos. You see it, you see a peak of it in the crucifixion, by the way, don't you? What happens in the crucifixion? The curtains are torn in two. Peace is being made. 
The temple curtains, rather, are being, the temple curtains are torn in two, the scripture says. What does that mean? Peace is being made between who? God and man. Change is happening in the relationship with God and man. Reconciliation is happening in the relationship with, with God and man. Through the crucifixion, the church is born. Signifying what? A change in the relationship between man and man. The Bible even tells us in Ephesians 2 that the dividing wall between man and man, Jew and Gentile, it says, has been torn down. How? Through the cross. Even on the day of crucifixion, what happens to creation? The sky goes dark. The earth begins to quake. Dead bodies begin to rise from the grave. What's happening there? It's signifying a shift in creation. And so on the, day of, on the day in which Jesus is crucified, we see the foretaste of the fall's reversal. Creation is shaking. Man and man are being reestablished and bonded back together. And God and man are being reestablished and bonded back together. How? Through the bloody cross. Through the chaos of the cross, peace is established with us. Last question. What does that mean for you and me? Real quickly, what does that mean for you and me? There's a text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and it says this. You can turn there if you would like. Look at it with your own eyes. It, from 17, verses 17 through 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come, and all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What does this mean for us? What does the, what does the work that Christ is doing mean for us? It means that as those that have been bought by the blood of Christ, those that have placed their trust in Christ, we now become a part of the work of reconciliation. You become a part of the work of changing the relationship between God and man and man and man and man and creation. God sends you and he sends me out into the world to be ministers, the scripture says, of reconciliation, sharing the message of reconciliation. What does that mean? That means that as you encounter brokenness, whether it be brokenness through toxic and sinful relationships, whether it be brokenness through uh, self-inflicting self abuses, whether it be whether it be brokenness through, through all sorts of different ways in which brokenness manifests itself, you carry the message to say, Christ Jesus has come to die. Christ Jesus has died, and through his death, he is restoring all things. Through his death, 
he is bringing salvation to the lost. Through his death, he is going to wipe every tear from your eyes. Through his death. He is restoring the creation that you see that is broken. When you come in contact with people that say, man, I just don't get this world, you have the message of reconciliation. You can say, man, brother and sister, this world is fallen. This world is broken. But Christ has come to restore it. That on the cross, he began the work of reconciliation. That on the cross, he took all the chaos of the world. In order to do away with the chaos. And that there's coming a day where we'll all be done because of what he's done. You carry that message. And say to God, it's not just that message that you carry on Sunday morning. You carry that message everywhere. You enter into your workspace with that message. And with the works that align with that message. In other words, I love. Why? I love because of what Christ is doing in the world. I want, to be, I want to be an example of what he's doing in the world. I serve the poor. Why? Because I want to be an example of what Christ is doing in the world. Christ is restoring poverty. He's, he's, bring, he's, bringing, out, he's bringing us out of poverty. So I want to be an example of what he's doing in the world by serving those that are in poverty. I want to serve those, that are, serve those that are ill. Why? Because Christ is doing something in the world. He's reconciling the world. And I want, to be, I want to be an example of that. I want to show that he's bringing healing to those that are ill and those that are hurting. You have the ministry of reconciliation. Christ has reconciled you in order that you may tell others, be reconciled. And so this is what reconciliation means for us. Again, salvation is not just about you. Salvation is about what God is doing in the cosmos, and he has invited you to take part in that. He has invited you to be a part of that. Embrace it with gladness, saints. Go go in gladness and go with the Spirit. You say to yourselves, I know some of you are saying to yourselves right now, man, that sounds big and that sounds lofty and I don't, I don't know where, my part in that, I don't know how, I don't know where I start. Listen, listen, he has not just called you, he's called all of those who trust him as Lord and Savior, meaning that you're not asked to do it all. You're just asked to play a part in the work of reconciliation and go, so go and play your Hard, calling men and women to be reconciled to God. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you and we give you all the praise and the glory and honor. We ask and we pray, Lord, that you.